as we continue our journey through the gospel according to John on Sunday mornings. John chapter 12. I'd like to begin by reading verses 27 through 36. In John chapter 12, beginning in verse 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, The Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in light, believe in the light that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. So we covered verses 27 and 28 last week. And without recapping last week's message, the bottom line is our lives need to be lit for the glory of God. Isn't that right? Uh, I love that this row is so much closer. Amen. Y'all are getting baptized every Sunday. Nobody over here yet. Um, Anyway, so we don't sprinkle around here, amen? We're just teasing. Everybody chill. Um, And and so anyway, um, but that needs to be our prayer in every situation in life. Father, glorify thy name. Because at the end of our lives, that's all that's going to count. Many people pray to be removed from troubling situations. But Jesus gives the example here that instead we need to pray through our circumstances. And I don't know that that's something we talk about a whole lot in these days, but the old timers would say you need to pray through. Meaning that when you get in a troubling situation, you get on your face before God and you wait for an answer. And you just pray through that thing. I mentioned last week how it's always God's will for his name to be glorified. And we see after Jesus prayed, there was a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God had glorified his name through Jesus' earthly life, his ministry. He would glorify his life or his name through the death of Christ. And then he would glorify it again through his resurrection. And, And remember Jesus here, he's speaking of his death. We saw that when we were in verse 24. And so God is going to glorify through the death of Christ. But it can't end there. Because if Jesus is still in the grave then what are we doing here this morning? Isn't that right? Uh, Listen, if if Christ is in the grave, the Bible says our faith is in vain. There's no point in this. Um, But hallelujah, Jesus rose. Amen. Um, Paul put it this way. He said, uh, if Christ is in the grave, then we are of all men most miserable. Yeah, think about that. He rose. He ascended to his father's right hand where he's now making intercession on our behalf. And so God's name was also glorified in the resurrection and in his ascension. 
Now, I want you to take note this morning of the response of the people to the voice from heaven in verse 29. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Now, verse 28 is clear that this was a voice from heaven. It wasn't a trumpet. It wasn't as of a voice. It was a voice. And we learn from verse 29 that all those that were there, those who stood by did in fact hear it. And I would like to think that some there that day did understand that it was the voice of God coming from heaven. But let's consider the two groups that are listed here. There was the group who said it thundered. There was the other group who said it was an angel speaking from heaven. Now, I'd like to give the group that said it was an angel speaking from heaven a little bit of credit. You know, at least they recognize it as a heavenly voice, right? And we can understand coming to that conclusion. We see in the Bible where God would send angels uh, to speak to mankind. Um, However, as far as I can tell, when angels do speak to mankind in the Bible, there's a manifestation of their presence. It's not some secretive thing where you're hearing this voice, but you're not seeing anybody. Um, I I see that in in the scriptures. Um, Also, uh, when considering their conclusion of this being an angel, what's interesting is, is in the Bible, an angel is never said to have thundered, and only God is ever said to have thundered. 2 Samuel chapter 22 verse 14 says, The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered His voice. And you can find the same account in Psalm 18, 13. But in their defense for now, at least this group recognized the voice as a heavenly voice. I'll give them that much. Amen. Um, For now. (laughs) Though it was far greater than a voice of an angel, I want you to understand this morning that both groups concluded wrongly. And notice also that Jesus states clearly in verse 30 that it was in fact an audible voice. Do you see that there in verse 30? Um, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. And so I want you to understand this morning that there are those, and we see this here, there are those who will go to great lengths to deny God speaking to them in their life. It was clear. It was a voice. Jesus said it was a voice. They, they, they heard. And yet there are people who will still say, uh, no, that wasn't God speaking. Some would say, if God would speak from heaven, I'd believe. Well, according to this verse, you may not. Amen. There are those who, despite all the evidence, will still reject Christ. Look at verse 37 for just a second. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Jesus wasn't secretive about his ministry. It was out there for everybody to see. It was a public ministry. He performed many miracles right out there in the open. Uh, He miraculously fed multitudes. Uh, He had healed in the streets. He had healed those that were brought to him. And at a minimum, it was clear that this man was sent by God. In John 18, verses 19 and 20, we read, The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. 
There was nothing secretive about what Jesus was doing. But sadly for some, it doesn't matter the miracles. It doesn't matter what they've seen. It doesn't matter the voice they've heard from heaven, as it were. They will still refuse God. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. But the fact remains, some can be surrounded by God and still walk away not placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who said it was only thunder did so because they were unwilling to admit that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus makes it clear in verse 30 that it was in fact a voice. So they were just being willfully ignorant that Jesus was sent by God and approved by God. There were three times in the ministry of Christ that God spoke from heaven. One is here in our text. The other is on the Mount of Transfiguration. That was a more private group there, Peter, uh, James, and John. The other occurrence was at Jesus' baptism when God said from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And, And here's my point. This crowd here was willingly rejecting the voice of God in their life. I believe that it eases our conscience when we can hear something so undeniable, but then explain it away as something different. There may be someone here today, and you've been in church your whole life. You've been surrounded by godly people. You read the Word of God, and you've even heard the Word of God thundering from the pulpit. But so far, you have rejected Christ. Likewise, there may be those who recognize there's some kind of spiritual aspect to all of this, but you're just not quite there yet. You've recognized a heavenly voice, though not audibly. If you're recognizing that audibly, come see me. Either you've heard it through God's Word, through the preacher, but you're not yet ready to admit that it's God Himself speaking to you. And maybe you feel like God wouldn't stoop so low as to speak to me. But Jesus said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. That voice you hear is the Holy Spirit. It's speaking, uh, he's speaking to you and it's, it's for your sake. Why? Because God is not willing that any should perish. And he's gone to the greatest lengths possible to prove that to you. Because we could never save ourselves. He came in the likeness of sinful man. Died a most gruesome death in our place. He's given us his holy word to convince us. He has given us the local church, purchased by His blood, built upon Himself as the chief cornerstone. He has gifted the church with pastors and teachers that will expound the Word of God to us. What more could God do to convince you that He loves you and is trying to speak to you? Yet there will be those who will dismiss God speaking to them by saying, It was only thunder. 
Or there will be those who will try to spiritualize it away by admitting that there is some kind of heavenly aspect to it, but it wasn't necessarily God. Let me take this thought right here and apply it to those who are saved. Because there will be times God will speak to you and those around you are going to try to diminish that in your life. Everybody with me? God's going to speak to you at some point. God may be dealing with you about an area of service and you decide to talk, some, talk to somebody about it and they tell you, no, that wasn't really God. It's just your emotions. It may even be somebody very close to you. I know those who said, there's no way God would call you to South Dakota. Knowing what I know now, I should have listened. No, I'm just kidding. I know I'm exactly where God wants me. I'm just, I'm just teasing. Just teasing. Um, God may speak to you about an area he wants you to deal with. Come on now. It may be ungodly music. It could be ungodly entertainment, immodest dress, your language. Thank God Delmar's coming. Some place you go, some other bad habit. And just when you know you need to deal with it yourself or someone else comes along and convinces you otherwise. And maybe the thought enters your mind, well, that's just the preacher's opinion. And you know why you come to that conclusion? Because you're not in the Word of God. Amen. Or your friends tell you that you're being too religious. And you begin to wonder, what will others think? Perhaps God may speak to you about increasing an area in your walk with Him. And maybe God's voice speaks to you and says, you know, you really ought to increase your church attendance. And you know deep down that you need to. You know you need to be here when the doors are open, but then the naysayer comes along and diminishes the voice of God in your life. What do you need three services a a week for? You're not turning into one of those, are you? Maybe God's speaking to you about working at our press. Teaching a class, playing an instrument, working on a bus route, helping with upkeep of the property, preaching, witnessing. And you know what you should do, but you're allowing external voices to enter in your brain and tell you, no, that's not God speaking to you. And the best thing you can do when God speaks to you is to do what? Obey. What y'all need me for? Just take the next step of obedience. God speaks to you about being in His Word. Guess what you need to do? You need to get up and read His Word. Amen. God pricks your heart to serve Him, then do it. The doubters are going to try to tell you, no, that's not God talking to you. And they'll try to tell you, you're becoming fanatical. Well, amen. I can't think of anything better to get fanatical about than the Lord Jesus. Mile High is going to sell out every game this year. Broncos fans are fanatics. God bless them. They stink. 
Amen. This will happen, let me put it this way, God will begin to speak to you when you get all in. And when you get all in and God's speaking to you and you start to feel that tug into service, what I just described to you will happen at some point. Somebody will come along and tell you, no, that wasn't the voice of God. God may call some of you to preach to a definite location. There will be those who will try to override the voice of God and tell you this. You don't have to serve God there because we need preachers here too. Come on now. God starts to call you to serve in the local church, but another voice tells you, no, that wasn't really God's voice because you're not qualified. Well, if it was about qualification, I wouldn't be up here. No, that wasn't really God speaking to you. You just made a hasty decision during a church service. Did you know the devil doesn't try to speak to you about serving God? So if you've heard a voice dealing with you to clean up an area, be more faithful to church, be more faithful to reading the Bible, to give, to serve in an area, then it was the voice of God. And you need to obey that voice. Remember what Jesus says here. This voice came not because of me, but for your sake. It's for you. And God wants you in tune with him. God wants you to walk closer with him. And it's not for his sake, but it's for yours. And it's to develop and mature you to be a better Christian. God wants us for his glory. Now look at verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus speaks of his death, as I said, in verse 24. It was in parable form there, and he speaks of his death in verse 27, speaking of his hour, and he speaks of his death in verse 32. So when Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world, he speaks of his death. The Greek word for judgment is krisis. It's where we get our English word crisis. Jesus is saying, now is the crisis of this world. My death will be the crisis point for the world. The word crisis, for the most part, is no longer used the way it was originally used. For the most part, when we use the word crisis, we describe something like a natural disaster. Maybe a hurricane, a major hurricane makes landfall in a populated area, and we call it a a crisis. There are places that are called family crisis centers. Those who are victims of abuse, human trafficking, uh, violence, they can go there for counsel. For some of you, it's a crisis when your phone isn't working. (laughs) I don't have enough bars. I don't even really know what that means. But um, so we go to Silver State Youth Camp, and um, there's very limited cell service on the mountain. You've been there, brother? Well, well, here's what some of the kids do, amen. They get up on the trees in the mountains, and, and they're... And, and, and they're trying as hard as they can to get, a, to get a signal. I was listening to a message by David Hetzer a couple weeks ago, and he said, because he preached at Silver State right after we left, 
And he said, when I was at Silver State this year, he said, no kidding, there was a girl climbed up in a tree, reaching up as high as she can. I got it. I got it. I got a service. <laughs> she started. Now, he said he wished he would have, she would have fallen out. But anyway, um, he said, just kidding, just kidding. Um, but it's a crisis for some people. Um, and, and, and here's what we say. Man, they're in crisis mode. Right? <laughs> I get in crisis mode when Georgia Bulldogs lose to Alabama. When Noah Webster penned his 1828 dictionary, crisis was primarily a medical term. And it technically still is today. The first definition of crisis by Mr. Noah uh, Webster is as follows. In medical science, the change of a disease which indicates its event. The change which indicates recovery or death. And so with that definition in mind, a crisis is that point medically when the body makes a turn either for, for, the, for the better or for the worse. At that point, it's a crisis point. Um, and, and so Jesus' death would mark the crisis point for the diseased. Now, this is going to get good, so you might as well get ready to shout. We were all born in sin. We inherited the disease and sickness of sin from the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. The Bible speaks of those who were sick and diseased in Jesus' day. And, and this can mean those who had uh, a wide range of ailments, and even those who were demon-possessed. The Bible says in Mark one thirty-two, And that even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all the sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had palsy, and he healed them. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the time is coming that he would die a ransom for many. And Jesus said this, They that behold, whole, need not a physician, but they that are sick. And he is the great physician, by the way. And the, here's the point. You don't need to be sick any longer. Amen. You can be freed by the power of God through the death of Christ. His perfect blood was applied to the mercy seat so that we could be healed. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. If we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You may be wondering, is that really all there is to it? You mean if I just confess my sins and ask God to forgive me, then He'll wash all my sins away? Yes, so long as you ask in faith, in Christ alone. There were those Jesus looked at and said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. The, the word whole means to be healed. And if you call upon God, placing your faith in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, you too can be healed by the great physician. So Jesus' death was a crisis point, medically speaking, for the diseased and brokenhearted. And that was all of us in here, and really all of us in here anyway, amen? Uh, God may have healed some of us, but some of you still lost. 
But the second way that the word crisis was once widely used, and it's probably more accurate for our text, it was a legal term. Most Greek lexicons define this Greek word as decision, as in a trial. Noah Webster's second definition for crisis is as follows. The decisive state of things or the point of time when an affair is to arrive at its height and must soon terminate or suffer a material change. And here's his example. This hour is the very crisis of your fate. Jesus' death is a crisis point. Get this now. It's a crisis point because your decision on who Christ is will determine your eternity. Amen? Is everybody okay? Some of you are shooting daggers at me right now. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. The, the cross is the turning point. It's the tipping point. It's the decision point by which the world is judged. You've heard me say it before, but Jesus is not a mile marker that you pass on the highway. He is the fork in your road. You will come to a point where you have to make a decision about who Christ is. It's your decision point. It's your crisis point. And as the example in that definition, your decision is that hour, uh, in that hour, is the very crisis of your fate. The death of Christ is where you must make judgment about who Christ is. The judgment you have to make isn't whether or not a man named Jesus ever lived. The judgment isn't even whether or not Jesus was a good man. The judgment isn't even whether or not that Jesus died. The judgment of this world is whether or not you will confess that Jesus Christ is the one who died in your place. Because you could never save yourself. The judgment is whether or not you decide he was God in the flesh who died to reconcile sinners to God. Is everybody with me? The judgment of this world, it's, it's come. Have you made your decision? Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They answered, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say some, one of the prophets. Jesus then asked them their opinion, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then there was a day when Jesus asked the Pharisees, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They didn't believe Jesus was the Christ, but they answered that he would be the son of David. Jesus explains that Christ would be much more than that. And what I find interesting is when Jesus is on trial, the high priest looked at the council, they were those religious Jews, and asked, what think ye? And they answered, he's guilty of death. And then they spit in his face, and they began to hit him. They made their decision. Have you made yours? And, and whether you realize it or not, when you make that decision to reject Christ, it's the same as just spitting in his face. You're in one of these two camps today. There is no middle ground. You either believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, or you believe that he was an imposter. It's the judgment of this world. It's the decision that you have to make. 
And whether you realize it or not, every person in this world is characterized by this decision. Only true biblical Christianity is salvation through Christ alone. Every other religion adds works. Your decision about who Christ is puts you in one of two camps. That's why eternal life in the Bible is defined as knowing God in Christ. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John 17, 3. It's not a religion, but it's a relationship. It's not religious observances, but it's in Christ alone. You either believe in salvation by grace through faith, or you believe you have to be good enough in some way. Have you made your judgment? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 24 For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now there's more to verse 31. We'll, We'll get to that next time, if Lord wills. But I have good news for you. It's not too late to make that decision. Christ is the crisis point in your life. You either turn to life or turn to death. You either stay sin sick or you allow him to heal you. What's your judgment going to be? What voice will you listen to, God's or the devil's? And it could be that some of you, God's been dealing with you about some kind of uh, sin in your life. And you know the decision you need to make, but you keep finding ways to excuse it and keep finding ways to put it off until another time. Maybe God's dealing with you about service or something like that. Listen, if you keep putting it off, the next thing you know, your life is over. And for sure, the strength of your youth is gone. And what a shame it would be to get to the end of your life and realize you never lived. Do you need to make some judgments today? Do you need to make some decisions? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Speak to hearts now, I pray. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would just work in the hearts now of those you're dealing with about service, about an area in their life. And, oh God, if there's one here that doesn't know you and you've been drawing them, you've been pricking their heart about salvation, may this be the day of salvation. Work now as only you can, for Christ's sake. Amen.